You are now listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the OG bad boys of Bigfoot, the Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive of Squatchology, the Chip and Dale of Bigfoot, and I'm not talking about the cartoon. Please welcome your hosts, the Bigfoot celebrity couple, Biff Clobo, better known as Cliff Berrickman and James Bobo Fay. Good evening, Bobo. How you doing today? Good. What's going on with you, Cliff? It's going all right. It's going all right. Uh, December is plugging along in the museum, and people are showing their support. It looks like uh, you know we're 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 not out of the woods yet with this 2020 COVID fire-ridden, plague-ridden, weird trash dumpster fire of a year. But um, maybe things will start normalizing soon. Yeah, I still can't believe 2020 sucks because I thought it was going to be the best year ever. I was like, 2020, like how can you beat that? Yeah. Seriously, like, like I, I think we're all optimistic coming into this year. Just we had no idea the pipe bomb that was waiting in the toilet as we sat down. <laughs> yeah, I was looking. I remember like January first. I was like, I can't wait till November tenth, ten ten, twenty twenty. It's going to be epic. Yeah, numerology stuff is it, it is a hoax, isn't it? <laughs> I got to admit, the numerology is a hoax. Ah, man, such optimism, squash. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the brighter side of things, Bobo, we have a nice guest tonight, a good friend of mine. Um, uh, his name is Connor Anderson, and he, he's kind of low profile, but he's been doing Bigfoot stuff for a number of years. And he actually is now the manager of the North American Bigfoot Center. Yeah, I'm, I'm the curator and all that other stuff, and I, my, Melissa and I own it. But um, Connor runs the shop day in and day out. But when and say, oh, well, so, and people are probably listening. You brought a store manager on? I said, no, no. Clearly, the North American Bigfoot Center is a special circumstance. It's a certain situation where I can't hire just some high school kid to come manage a shop. It ha- the, this person has to have a certain set of skills, and uh, Connor has every one of those skills and more, actually. Um, and the fact that we're even still in existence, I have to lay squarely on Connor's shoulders. That uh, So it's his fault or to his credit. I don't know which one, but um, it, I... I, I we all owe everything to Connor at this point as far as the business goes, but he's also a legit Bigfooter. And uh, he's been Bigfooting a long time, and I thought that he'd be a good guy to talk to because he has some really interesting recordings that were taken locally and um, with great stories to go along with it. So this is more of a storytelling sort of session uh, from, uh, from a local researcher. So, Bobo, I, I think you've met Connor, but for everybody else listening right now who has not, welcome Connor Anderson to Bigfoot and Beyond. Connor, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty all right. Hey, Connor. Hey, Bobo. How you doing? How you been? Good, man. Yeah, I just met Connor myself like two weeks ago. He's a nice guy. And he, uh, I was listening to him talk. We were talking around the fire. And he, uh, yeah, he, I was like, well, this guy does know his stuff. He's been around for a while. Because, uh, you know, you just hear like, Cliff refer to him as this kid, Connor. And then it's like, yeah, he's a young man. He's had some several years out in the field. So he's, he's got some knowledge. And it was cool hearing you uh, tell some of your stories. Yeah, it was just nice getting to chat with you, too. Yeah, and of course, now that I'm 50 years old, I had, my, I had a birthday a few weeks ago, and uh, you guys met at our my birthday campfire. I had six or eight people around the campfire that night, um, but I, 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 I can refer to Connor as a kid because back then he was 29, but now he is 30. He is now in his 30s, so I, he doesn't really earn the kid the nomenclature anymore. So I'm all grown up. All grown up. <laughs> You're worse off than you think, because I just found out I was looking up some uh, stuff because I was like, I guess, you know, I'm middle age, whatever I looked it up, they said middle age, 35 to 55. You're, you're doomed. We're all doomed. <laughs> when I, when I turned 25, I was like, Oh, I'm, I've lived a quarter of my life now. And then I looked up like life expectancy stats and I passed that when I was 18. So I, I, <laughs> yeah. I've been feeling really old for a long time. <laughs> you are old. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. Happy birthday. Or another way of saying it is one year closer to death. Yep. It's all downhill from here. That's what 2020 has taught me. <laughs> yeah, right. Strip me of all of my, um, you know, uh, my, my positive attitude. Not that I had much of one to begin with, but speaking of beginnings, Connor, tell us how in the world did you end up in this Bigfoot sort of world? Well, uh, I've been into it for a long time, most of my life, just kind of interested in, in monsters and weird stuff, which for which I, I blame my family. I really started taking it seriously maybe 10 years ago, give or take, uh, through partially through finding Bigfoot that kind of reignited my, my love for Sasquatch because I used to, I was into it when I was a kid. And then during early high school, I decided it wasn't cool to be a Bigfooter. And you, you hung out with the wrong people, dude. Nerd. 
well, the problem was I didn't want to be a nerd. And I was like, ah, I can't do bigfooting. But then I was just a theater kid anyway. So there goes that whole cool plan. But I rediscovered my love for this uh, back in like 2011, 2012-ish. And I kind of started taking it seriously then. Ever since then, every single hike I've ever gone on has been for the purpose of maybe seeing something or finding some piece of evidence for this thing. That's what I, yeah, I look for in an employee, someone whose life is completely out of balance. <laughs> It's important, right? <laughs> now, now, you were doing all this in Colorado, right? That is correct. Yeah. So I started doing this in Colorado. And uh, I remember very clearly uh, reading this news article online about somebody having found prints near Estes Park uh, within the last week or so when I read this. And I thought, hey, that's like an hour from where I live. Let's go. Let's go look. And so we, me and my sister and my buddy Aaron went out for a couple of days in February in near Estes Park and it was freezing and snowing and awful, but it was some of the most fun I've had in a, you know, up to that point. And I thought I need to just find a way to do this for a living. And that uh, eventually led me here. I got very lucky. Well, or unlucky. It depends how you look at it, I guess. But So you started doing field work, uh, mostly with your friends and stuff. I guess that's how most of us start or doing it alone. Uh, did you find anything out in Colorado? Over the, the, the few years that I had been looking out there, I I found, I think, a couple of footprints. I found one that I'm fairly confident is a footprint. I found that near Leadville in 2016. I found a few other weird impressions. I, I heard some strange noises that I couldn't quite identify. Nothing spectacular. You know, there, people always think I have some crazy Bigfooting story that got me into this, like I saw one or something like that. But it was really just kind of a slow burn of interest until it, uh, it took over. Uh, all the really cool stuff that's happened to me has happened since I moved out here to Oregon. And I've only been here seven months, eight months, something like that now. Well, maybe just hanging out with the right people now. I definitely am. All modesty aside. Did you uh, hook up with any of the Bigfoot researchers in Colorado before you came out? Or are you just kind of like on your own solo? I did most of all, all my stuff solo, for lack of a better word. You know, I usually go out with, uh, with my dad or my sister or one of my friends. But I didn't really become part of the quote-unquote Bigfoot community until I moved out here. And, and still, I, I feel like I'm not really part of the Bigfooting community, which is, which is kind of fine. But I haven't met a single researcher from Colorado who wasn't, isn't me. I'm not even sure who's out there. Well, there's some good ones. I mean, Dennis Foles, really good. I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot of researchers in Colorado, and there's a lot of great squatching in Colorado. And I've heard Leadville, like when I've gone to conferences and town hall meetings in Colorado and just, you know, hanging out there. That name Leadville, like that's a common point of reference from when people are telling me about their encounters. Oh yeah, there's there's history in that area back into the 1890s. Uh, I was doing some research and uncovered some articles from the Leadville Chronicle in 1894 and 1895 about these people seeing this large, uh, you know, bipedal thing off in the woods and kind of running down hills, and they couldn't really chase this thing, and it had giant footprints and all this sort of thing. So there's history there. There's a lot of history in that part of the state. So, uh, okay. So I first met you when I was running public expeditions a few years ago. Yeah. And you drove out with your dad. I got a chance to meet your dad, which is really cool, by the way, you know, having my father's past, of course. And I look back and think, well, shoot, I should have done more of that kind of stuff. So it's really cool that you have an opportunity, had an opportunity to do that. But I didn't realize I was going to steal you from your, your family and have you move out to Oregon at the time. So I, I, I would apologize, but you're such a good employee. I can't, uh, what is your, what does your family think of your, uh, your Bigfoot passion? They have been nothing but enthusiastically supportive. Uh, people always ask me that sort of question, like, what does your family think? And I, I often tell them that you can't pick your passions and you can't pick your parents. And I got lucky on both accounts uh, because one of the, I mean, my dad was with me on that Leadville trip where we found that 18 inch footprint and we had something up in that valley with us that day. And, and he's a firm believer in these things, but he never thought they were out there. He always thought there were a Pacific Northwest sort of thing. And so it was kind of fun. I really enjoy bringing skeptics out in the field with me doing that sort of thing, uh, because it's fun to watch their, their view of reality starting to get destroyed as they find little bits of evidence. Uh, so it's been a wonderful thing having my parents be as supportive as they have been. Your dad's kind of a freak too, though, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He, he runs the uh, Grover Cleveland Art Appreciation Society, an occasional pop-up museum. So uh, Andersons have weird hobbies. Apple didn't fall far from the tree. No, not at all. We, we both look up to guys named Grover. 
<laughs> so by, by the way, since we plugged that, is there a website that people can go check out the Glover, the Grover Cleveland, basically appreciation society. I mean, the title is much longer. Art appreciation. Uh, and on Instagram, you can follow him at the Grover Cleveland art society. That is, that is his page. And it's just a collection of art of Grover Cleveland from artists from all around the world. It's, uh, it's awesome and very ridiculously funny. Gosh, darn weirdos. Yeah. The whole lot of us. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So yeah, your, your dad's in the Grover Cleveland art. You're in the Bigfoot. Seems like a perfectly normal family to me. You're doing a not weird one. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I'm the most normal person in the family. Sure. Same here. <laughs> well, now um, you came out on some of the public expeditions that I ran down the Clackamas River a few years ago. Um, did anything super interesting happen there that uh, spun your head or you know p- pushed you forward into your search harder or what? Yeah, that first expedition that I was out there with you, and I think 2018, I may have filmed two Sasquatch on a thermal imager, which I know you guys have referenced a couple times on the podcast here. And for all of those listening at home, it really is the worst footage of anything you could expect. It's, it's little white dots. But the context of the situation there leaves really no answer except Sasquatch. So we were out at a place called Lindsay Lake. And this was kind of the last night we were there. We had split up into groups, I think four groups in total. And I was in kind of the lead group. And our goal was to go down to the end of the road before everyone else kind of unloaded and got out of their cars and hoping that something would get pushed towards us and pushed past us. And this group was a group of two, though, right? It was you and a, and, and a companion. So there were, there were four of us initially. It was uh, Minty, Barbara, Ariel, and I. And so within our group, we decided to split up into two parts and kind of leapfrog down the road. And at this point, it was just Ariel and I, and we were kind of watching Minty and Barbara leave, you know, on our thermal imagers. We lost sight of them for a while. And as we're standing there, uh, Ariel's kind of looking behind us where we had come from. And she says something like, hey, there are people behind us. And I thought that was weird because I, I knew that the next team back was, was you. And I didn't think you guys were that close to us. And so we sat there and I was filming and she was looking through her thermal imager as what I thought was you and somebody else kind of walked up on the road and then kind of vanished. And that's all I really thought about that night. Because uh, I, was, I was convinced it was you up until I came back in October last year. And then I, I started thinking this might not have been you. But that night passed. Uh, we talked about that, whatever we had seen. And uh, it was a little weird because apparently at that point in time, you were sitting down on the road with your group, uh, maybe 100 yards up away from where I was around the corner. Oh, at least, I think. I, was put, I think I was closer to 150 to 200 or more yards. Yeah. And, and uh, I remember listening to the audio files because I had a recorder on me that night. About that time, you called to let us know that you could hear something big moving around in the brush in front of you guys, and you weren't sure what that was. That kind of correlates. There was something big moving around out there. And if I remember right, Ariel's uh, thermal imager didn't record, um, but it was a pretty high-resolution one versus the TK Scout you were using. And I remember Ariel saying something like, why is Cliff there? You know, she didn't understand why I was there, like walking around, or and then another thing came out of the brush, and stood around with this cliff thing, right? And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, do I have it correct that uh, at some point, the, the thing that she thought was me kind of leaned over and then ran straight into the woods? That is approximately what I understand um, because I wasn't looking through her thermal and she didn't, wasn't able to record it. I, I don't know for sure. Uh, but I, she was talking kind of right away about seeing something lean over. And that's when she was getting a little confused as we were kind of talking this back and forth as we were uh, waiting for you guys to catch up. Because I wanted to chat with you right then about if you were walking around or something. But I, whatever, whatever I filmed, she saw much better. And I, I would very much like to sit down and talk with her at, at great detail about exactly what she saw. So then, yeah, so then you got this, this piece of footage, which again, isn't earth shattering by any stretch of the imagination. It's uh, generally human-shaped blips moving around and then that's it kind of because you didn't realize that you may have been filming a possible Sasquatch at the time. You just thought it was me and somebody else back on the road. Right. And, and if I had been 
you know, thinking that I was filming a Sasquatch, I might have tried to walk up towards it to get a bit of view on the thing, but I, I thought it was you and I didn't want to interrupt whatever you were doing in case something cool was happening down there. And I, it only dawned on me when you and I went out in October that these things walked out of the swamp onto the road, then back down into the swamp, which is a very weird thing for you to have done. And you didn't do that. So based on the context, I, th I think they, it was probably a couple of uh, Sasquatch. Now, you're working on a video about this, aren't you? That is correct. Uh, I've been kind of uh, chipping away at a, a little short documentary about this footage just to release it because I th actually, I think, it, I think you said this, Cliff, uh, if not sharing your evidence is the same as having no evidence at all, something like that. I'm paraphrasing a quote poorly. Uh, so I think it's worth having the video out there just because it might be a Sasquatch. But yeah, I've been working on the kind of little short documentary to play either here in the theater or to release to our patrons or both. And that I need to do some talking head stuff with that, but that's, uh, that's been in the works for a little while. Yeah. Cause we went out to the site and did a recreation. Uh, did you actually ever learn anything from our recreation? It was 94 yards away. It was slightly bigger than you are. And, uh, they did really weird things for people. Um, cause the group, I, I forget exactly who was in your group, but I, I'm fairly certain at no point any of them walked off into the swamp, then back on the road, then back off into the swamp again. No, we were sitting down on the road. Or like two, I remember who was there either, but there were a couple of us sitting down on the road together, listening. Yeah, and I remember clearly kind of being able to hear you even moving around a little bit while we were out there doing the recreation stuff, and there was no sound that night of whatever this thing was, or these things, whatever these things were. Because I keep thinking there's only one, because when I was filming it, in real time, I thought it was just one thing. But uh, on closer inspection, there are two little heat signatures moving kind of independently from each other. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Now, when you came out to do the recreation, is that the same time you went to the Blueberry Bog and got that weird recording? Uh, that is not. So that's let me get the timeline straight here. So in 2018, I filmed the video. And then in 2019, I was here three separate times. I came out for the expedition in June, which I bailed on my 10th year high school reunion to, to come out and do that. Then I came out here again in August for two weeks. Uh, and that's when I went to the Blueberry Bog the first time. And that's when I recorded the weird audio, but didn't realize it for another six months. If I had thought about it. If I had caught it by then, I would have spent more time at the Blue Ray Bog with you in October, I think. Well, well tell us about uh, this, this weird audio, because it, it is one of the strangest bits of audio that I've heard. Um, and I, I don't know if I can come to any solid conclusion on it, because it's just so weird. It is absolutely weird. Uh, that's, I, I filed it away for five or six months, because I just didn't know what to do with it. Tell us about the context of how that came about, and then we can play the audio and have the audience listen to it, and uh, they can come to their own conclusions about it. Okay. So back in August of last year, I came out to Oregon for like two weeks working on a documentary that I was trying to make at the time. And my sister and I ended up camping, uh, after your suggestion, at the Blueberry Bog for a few days. And I had audio recorders out the entire time. You know, I put some trail cameras up. Uh, facing all the directions away from where you said they normally come into camp from, hoping that we could kind of corral them into one area, which, you know, nothing happened. It was a nice camping trip. I played some guitar, but no big footing, no, no big footy things happened. And so I kind of thought, well, that's okay. It was a good camping trip. That was pretty fun. And I didn't think much about it for a few months. And then in early, I think February or March of this year, I decided to just go through all the audio files. And there were a couple weird things, a couple weird animal sounds, a lot of owls, and a lot of nothing. But there was this one little clip, maybe 30 seconds long, of what I first thought was weird, spooky 1930s jazz music. And I was like, that's, that's a weird thing. I, I don't know what that is. And I didn't at all think it would be a Bigfoot thing. And so I just kind of forgot about the file for a while. And then... After starting to work here, you've shown me some new tricks and new technology for analyzing audio. And I thought, you know, I can go back and just listen to some of this other stuff and see how it charts out on these, uh, through these new software, through this new software and these new programs. And so 
I was playing with that and I played it, the sound for you uh, a couple weeks ago, whenever that was just because it was a weird sound in the woods. And I, I know you also like weird sounds in the woods. I didn't think it was a Bigfoot thing, even kind of. And you said something like, oh, that might be one. I hear they sing sometimes. And I'm like, what, what the hell do you mean they sing sometimes? That's insane. And apparently people have heard them sing occasionally, which is awesome and weird. It's usually, it's usually described as like a mumbly, whistling, kind of singing, songy voice all mixed in together is what I've usually had it described to me. Yeah, I, I have been very unaware of the, the, even the concept that these things could sing. You know, I know they'll, they'll talk and kind of do some gibberishy muttering stuff and howl, of course, but I never even thought about singing. So, I mean, it's weird. It's absolutely weird. It's in B major. Whatever is singing is in B major, which is, which is also a weird thing for a Sasquatch to be singing in, if it is, in fact, a Sasquatch. Uh, so the audio clip, I guess is this Q-tape. I will admit, after you said this thing might be a Sasquatch, I have spent a lot of time listening to it kind of over and over again, because I know for a fact that there were not any other people there. I mean, the closest real campsite to where we were is like 3.1 miles away. And there are a few other places you can camp, you know, just pull over and camp sort of spots. But you told us that there are people out there sometimes, but very rarely. And so my sister and I made it that lap that you suggested and checked all the other regular camping spots, and there was nobody there. And this was the this was recorded the first night at 7.58 p.m., an hour and a half after I started recording. And we didn't see anybody out there until maybe two days later, a Forest Service truck drove by. And so, well, I'm not going to say this can't be a person because only a Sith deals in absolutes, but I, I think that it's very unlikely that there's a human out there doing this, but I don't know, you know, it's not a mountain lion. It's not a deer. It's not an owl. I guess I've never really heard a bobcat, but I'm fairly confident it's not a bobcat either. It is very, very weird. It is. It is. It's very weird. Uh, but as, I, as I've told you, but I'll now tell kind of everybody, I'm going to, I've been working on just kind of memorizing that melody because let's say potentially it is a Sasquatch. The next time I go out there, I'm just going to start singing that thing into the woods. Because if there is a Bigfoot out there that's singing this particular tune, that might make it say, oh, that's weird. Who the hell's singing my song? And come check it out. And maybe I'll get uh, chased out again, you know? <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. Soon <laughs> for royalties. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting that it's in B major, and the and when as soon as because you found the tonal the tonal uh, pitch center of all this, um, it, it, it it harkened to me back to an Oklahoma expedition on finding Bigfoot. Remember that that couple that lived out in the woods that had Bigfoots on their property, and the the guy would work in his shop. Is his name Daryl? Yeah, and um, he would always say that the Bigfoots resonate with the key of B minor. I I remember that. That's weird. That is weird. B major, B minor. I guess that's a per, uh, you know, but B is still in there. Um, maybe that's a something to take note of, or just a coincidence. You know, if we have five or six more of these and they're all in the key of B, then I think we're on to something. But at this point, it's just a weird coincidence. That's interesting. Yeah, that that is very interesting. I can never explain how weird that is. And you know, you said at the you look back at your records, and at the time you were actually in the swamp area filming some something for your documentary, right? At the time, yeah, I have video of me standing out by the swamp, just kind of talking to the camera on my cell phone because I wasn't like it was just kind of a, like behind the scenes thing I was going to post on Instagram or something, or who knows. But I'm on camera at the exact moment this thing happens, and I couldn't hear it from where I was, and this audio recorder. Uh, was down the road kind of to the north of where I was. And so this thing must have been out in that direction because if it had been really any other direction, I might have heard it. 
but this thing seemed to be way out that way, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and the most reasonable thing outside of Bigfoot, if that's reasonable at all, is to say that a car was driving by and having <laughs> was playing that for some reason, <laughs> like you know had 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 the booms going on in their car and playing that very loudly. Um, but but where you were was much closer to any road than where the recorder was. Yeah, and and like I said earlier, we didn't see a person out there for a couple of days, and then it was a, a truck that drove by and. I knew there was going to be a car coming by 15 minutes before we saw the thing because cars make a lot of sound and they're very, very obvious when you're in the middle of quiet, absolutely nowhere. Again, I can't say for sure there were not humans out there, but I am as confident as I can be that we were the only people within three or four miles in really any direction, maybe two miles in any direction. That's, that's very specific, but you know, there was nobody out there. Bob, have you ever heard anything like that before? In person one time up in 199 up there at uh, Smith River, there was more howling and yelling mixed in and screams. But it was, yeah, it kind of had an ominous kind of sing-songy thing to it. I, I'm not good. I couldn't tell you what pitch or key or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but you've heard some weird stuff like that, little singing. Just once, I, th- I think. And then that time with Moneymaker when we heard the voices up in Washington there, kind of a little bit, not singing, but kind of had that, tonality to it i guess you'd say yeah and of course there's that that uh, that group out in oklahoma that's heard sounds like operatic sort of like out in the woods they can't explain and uh doug hijack even told us that story about hearing that out at uh snow grove lake weird stuff weird critters man if, th- if that is actually bigfoot related how fascinating like what what are we going to learn about um ourselves and human culture let alone them by uh, studying what they do. It's going to be so cool once discovery does happen. The anthropologists are going to just go crazy with it. Like they're just going to, like, we've, we've been trying to study these random, we're digging for these fossils that we find. What I mean, look how many millions of dollars and decades spent digging up trying to find fossils of these things when you could, got living ones running around 10 miles from your university research lab. Wasting your time, paleoanthropologists. Yeah, get outside more, nerds. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that bumper sticker says, don't waste your time, paleoanthropologists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I've got that in my car. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Well, you know, that's how you're, uh, you've had some other adventures at the Blueberry Bog, and uh, I think that'd be a fun thing to go over. You want to tell us that story? Absolutely. Uh, so, this was... This was July of this year. You moved out to Oregon. Yeah, I guess I, I should start there. So I moved out to Oregon in July. July. Wow. This was the within like three weeks of moving out here. Okay. That's crazy. So I moved out to Oregon uh, to work here at the North American Bigfoot Center the beginning of July. I did some, you know, some general hiking, kind of looking around in the area and, uh, I, at one point, decided to go camping, to go solo camping, because I hadn't been solo camping out here in Oregon yet. And uh, Cliff suggested that I go check out the Blueberry Bog. And I thought, yeah, that'd be great. It was a nice camping spot. I'll, I'll go back there. So I did. I drove out like 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday. I think it was Monday, July 28th. I was out there at like 3 o'clock. And I just, uh, you know, I brought the camera gear. I was going to do some filming stuff for the Patreon uh, for the member section of the website and just, you know, do a little, hey, I'm out here, I'm camping. So people would know that we were out doing some sort of field work. The last thing that I expected was for anything to actually happen. Spoken like a true Bigfooter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, trial by fire. And I, I I got burned. So the basically, my plan was to stay at the campsite, you know, kind of wander up and down the roads a little bit but just do normal human stuff. Uh, so I brought my guitar and I was playing guitar loudly and singing loudly and badly into the woods. Uh, and uh, about, you know, I, I made some laps kind of around, around the, the bog area and just checked the place out. Didn't see anyone else out there. And so I just kind of went around camping as normal. And about just before nine o'clock, it had gotten too dark to keep filming on the camera I was using. So I I sat down and explained to the camera that, hey, I'm going to trade cameras now and go to night vision. 
So, cause it's too, you know, too dark, yada, 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 all this stuff. And about, I don't know, 65 feet away from me behind the camera, I start hearing something moving in the tree line just across the road. And at first it was, it sounded fairly small, you know, just brushes against the leaves and things like that. I thought, Oh, Hey, there's going to be a deer that's going to walk into camp. That'll be great. I could film a deer. That'll be good B roll. And as I sat there listening to this thing, suddenly it sounded a little bit bigger and I could hear sticks breaking. It didn't get closer. It just got louder. And then I thought, Oh, that's bigger than a deer. That's got to be, maybe it's a bear. That'll be really exciting. You know, I'll, I'll film a bear. I'll go sit in my car and film a bear for 15 minutes. That'll be fun. And then before I could even kind of wrap my mind around, there might be a bear right here. It starts stomping back and forth on two legs, just kind of moving up to the left, kind of uphill, then back down to the right again, just pacing back and forth and stomping and kind of breaking branches as it's going. The, the closest thing I can use to explain the sound is the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. It's just heavy, deep, thudding footfalls up and down across the road. And immediately I thought, oh, crap, this is, this is what I came here for. I need to get my thermal imager out of the car because it was in my backpack in the car because I hadn't even thought about getting it out yet because it wasn't totally dark. And so I got up and I unlocked the car and all the locks clicked and the lights flashed. And this thing, which was way up to my left at this point, just stopped moving for a few seconds. It felt like a long time, but it's only like four or five seconds. And then this thing just starts stomping back down the hill across the road, right towards where the front of my car is pointing. And I think, okay, plan D, I'm going to just jump in the car, turn the headlights on and try to film this thing if it walks in front of me, because I don't have time to get the thermal now. So I jumped in the car, I turned the engine on, the lights went on, and the thing stopped moving. I never saw anything and I never heard anything else. And I thought, well, I was not ready for that. And so I left. I threw everything in the back of my car and I left. <laughs> I think we've all done that once or twice. Yeah, it was, uh, it was the single most terrifying thing I've ever experienced. Like my caveman brain kicked in and I just, you know, fight or flight. And I realized I had an engine and wheels and I thought, okay, let's go. And, and I had intended on, you know, just driving for five or 10 minutes and camping somewhere else and continuing the night as if nothing had happened. But the more I started thinking about it as I was driving, I started thinking, oh, this, that could not have been as, I must have been, you know, imagining something that was so clearly a bipedal thing walking around. Maybe I got excited. Maybe I was imagining stuff. And so I ended up driving all the way back to Cliff's house. Uh, and you know, I, I walked in at like 1030. Well, just to be clear that, uh, he was staying with us at the time. I should clarify that. I didn't just break into your house. <laughs> yeah. When you landed out here in Oregon, uh, Melissa and I, uh, had you stay in the spare room for a few weeks until you got, uh, your own place. And in whatever. my room? Yeah. In Bobo's room. No, no, actually upstairs in the dog's room. Yeah. In Sochi's room. So, yeah, I walked in and, and Cliff, you were like, hey, I thought you were going to the spot. And I said, I, I was out there. <laughs> and you were like, well, why? What, what happened? It's like, there's something big out there. And you said, yeah, yeah, I know there's something big out there. That's why we go there. It's true. That's why we go there. Yeah. When they're around and they're stomping off in the brush, it, it's kind of unmistakable. Uh, what, 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 like, what else could it be? You know, do elk do that? I don't know. Do elk do that? Bobo, do you know? Not like that. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll stomp their hose a little bit but not i mean when we've heard the stuff where we know it's a bigfoot that just sounds nothing like a hoof yeah it, it like shakes the ground and it shakes your body your body really at the same time your chest cavity um well you know um when connor came back and said yeah there's one out there i'm thinking well it's 10 30 at night man like okay and uh i decided well you know what i'm i'm the boss at nabc i'm gonna take a day off and so uh connor and i went out there the next night um, Connor went out there with me and we did some recreation sets stuff. I ran back and forth in the woods where it was. I looked for hair and footprints and it was bone dry, man. There was nothing to be found out there. Um, so that was kind of a wash there. It's kind of a dead end road. Oh yeah. But, but as it got darker, um, we we're hoping to have the thing happen again. Now, um, Connor eventually, uh, well, they, we're hoping to have the whole thing happen again. So, uh, we we're listening and, and doing all that sort of stuff, playing some guitar, doing the same thing he did. 
And sure enough, it came back. Um, we heard it again that night, although it didn't try to scare me out or us out of there. It didn't do the whole stomping thing any, again. Um, I guess it didn't want to prey upon us as newbies, you know, uh, like, oh, you're new to this spot. I'm going to get you. Um, but it, it, we heard the same old pattern where there's knocking coming from that direction and kind of circled around camp. And there were a couple decent knocks and a, a couple handful of smaller, quieter ones that I would attribute to it because it was moving around. Um, eventually Connor left thinking, okay, well, I was alone last night. What if, uh, you're alone this night? So Connor left me out there. Um, and I heard it maybe two more times and then that was about it. Just kind of the same old blueberry bog story where it comes in and looks around and kind of vacates the area. Connor just got lucky, man. He got real lucky. Yeah, I did. And I'm going to be kicking myself for the rest of my life about leaving when I did. But one of the things that I was most impressed about when we went back the next day was I, I couldn't hear you at all when you were back there. And the ground back there, you know, is it's dry, but there's a lot of just moss and kind of there's no place to really stomp and make that sort of sound. So the fact that it was making that sort of noise in that terrain is it's just that thing must have been massive. Or just knows how to work it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was I was expecting to find some sort of like tunnel sort of thing that it could run back and forth through with ease, um, but there was nothing of the sort back there. It was um, I mean, these things are slinky woodsters, man. They just run through the woods and don't care much about what they hit, and they just kind of go into whatever crevices and cracks are available. Now, of course, we filmed all this as well. And if you're a member of the North American Bigfoot Center, you have access to these videos. You can actually see Connor's footage. You can see uh, parts of our recreation and hear the audio as well for yourself. Um, that's all on our, our Patreon account. And you just, if you're interested, you want to support the museum, just go to the you know website and hit membership and you can figure the rest out for yourself. But yeah, um, all that sort of stuff ends up out there. So we have done our due diligence and maybe we'll make that just public someday as well. We'll see about that. Yeah, maybe down the line in a, in a year or something, we can make that available to the general public. But for now, it's members only. Members only, just like my sexy-ass jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong decade, Bobes. That's what you think. Not up in my head. It's 1986 in my head right now. You know, Bobo, it's always at 1986. It's always very uh, 80s for you. Uh, it's because, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know, when you feel you peaked, but you certainly had some uh, awesome things happen in the 80s, like this. Cue music, please. And there's Bigfoot story time, right? Or B- Bobo story time, rather. Oh, there's Q and Kenny Loggins. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know if we can use that. Way on gather round, it's Bobo story time. Dude, he's going to say some things that'll blow your mind. Classic. If you say he's lying, he's gonna kick you behind. For sure. Once again, it's Bobo story time. Any description of felonious or criminal activity is being told here strictly for entertainment purposes and is in no way an admission of guilt or even true for that matter. Yeah, back in, well, yeah, actually, 86, that was your, I did the Kenny Loggins video. I had just come back from Tahiti. I was, in, I was on the U.S. team for the World Championships down there for our canoe paddling. And I'd just come back to the States and my buddy Buford, we went down to this volleyball tournament down on Manhattan beach in the sand down there on the beach. And uh, our, our buddies were like, we knew a lot of the pro guys and the top guys on the tour and stuff. And so we were down there drinking beers and we, we'd be like, we were like the professional hecklers. We would just heckle the other teams for the guys. Like whoever was playing against our friends, we'd just talk tons of smack to their team, like try to just, just piss them off and get in their heads and, so uh, as a reward, these guys, Frohoff and Akatevi, Brent Frohoff and Scott Akatevi were a team. There was a, someone from the record company down there, this woman, and she was giving out tryout cards for the Kenny Loggins video for Top Gun soundtrack for the Top Gun movie that was out with Tom Cruise and all that. It was like, he, it was the biggest movie of the year by far. And there was, that soundtrack was the number one soundtrack. So they were like really wanting to get out. This is the 80s, the height of MTV videos and stuff. So they were really jonesing to get a video out quick. And they gave, they gave out a bunch of these pro volleyball player guys tryout cards, and uh, we didn't get them. But Ack and Fro thought it would be funny to, to send us into the tryouts and just cause mayhem. You know, like just, like just go in there, and they wanted to hear the stories about us screwing around in there. So Buford and I went to it, and there was like 2,400 people showed up. 
And it was supposed to be in, on the beach in Santa Monica, but it was so foggy. It was like uh, so that summer, not, it wasn't June, but it was like the June gloom, you know, the beaches in Southern California in the summer can get really foggy and it was pea soup fog. So they got this Catholic school gym, St. Monica gym. It was built in like 1915 or something. It was this old building, no ventilation or anything. So we go in there and it was supposed to be a one day thing. And the first day we get there, Buford and I, it was, it was a big set. There There's like 90 to 100 people working on the crew. Uh, we went through like all these tryouts for the first day. And they, they uh, I got cut. And Buford, Buford was actually like a college volleyball player and stuff. He was, he was good. And I was, they had a couple model actor guys that they put in there just for whatever reason. Then they had some Olympic pro beach volleyball player guys on there too. And so I got cut, but they said I might be able to try out for the janitor part. There was going to be a janitor sweeping up at the end. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. I'll do that role. But I just, so I had to wait for Buford because he was still trying out. So I just snuck back out into the, because they, they were just, we were just playing volleyball. And then they'd come typing the shoulders and say, get out, get out. And they're just going around. So they whittled it down pretty fast. They're just walking around, just throwing people out left and right. I got thrown out once, came back, started playing again, got thrown out again, then came back in again when there's only like 25 people left. And then I made that final cut for whatever reason. So yeah, the second day, it was supposed to be, so it was really a two-day shoot. Two days of shooting, one day of trying out. So the second day we get there, we got there a little late. And there's this limo there. We're like, no way, there's a limo right on. And we went in, we, I just walked over to the limo, the door was unlocked and it looked, poked my head in there. And I was like, oh man, there's a bar in here. So I go, beef, look, check it out. It's, it's like nine in the morning. He, he comes over, we get in the limo and, start mixing drinks and cracking beers and stuff. And we were kind of hung over from the day before because we were partying the whole day. We were there. We brought 12ers with us, 12 packs of beer. And we were like just out of high school. We should, I mean, it was the eighties. It was a little different time. And so we're sitting there and they're looking for us. Then Kenny Loggins comes back out and goes to get in his limo and the doors are locked and we're in there just, and we're like, Hey, can we open the sunroof? We're both being people standing up to the sunroof, just toasting him going, what's up? He's like, let me in the limo. You know, they're like, who are these guys? And, we, so we just were causing chaos the whole time. Like, so it ended up being three days of filming instead of one. It was because of us. Like, they were trying to set the mood by uh, having these smoke. Uh, they weren't the smoke machines where you pour the liquid fog in. It was like these bricks of mulch. They'd chop off little pieces and put them in this uh, metal pan, like an incense thing, and light them on fire. And they'd you would make an incredible, like a little thing the size of a, like a, um, like the size of a grape could you know make a pretty big amount of fog you know we were kind of buzzed drinking beers the whole day and stuff and i was like oh this, I, let me see that I, I snagged it i snagged one of those bricks and i threw it in my backpack I'm like well, this is gonna be awesome and uh the, the, so that night viewer and i we went, we went out partying like we were wearing sunglasses we bought the biggest cheap cigars we could find we're walking around like we were hollywood stars and stuff like going to parties and blah blah, blah and just having a good time we, every time we'd go into a party, we'd light, like we'd flake off a little piece and light it and let the whole front door smoke up real bad. Then we'd knock on the door, they'd open the door and the smoke would pour in. We'd come walking in like we were like the, you know, yeah, we're the shit. So the next day we go back and I still had that brick in my, in my backpack. I'm like, oh, you know what? This is, this ought to be pretty funny. So I lit it and threw it underneath the bleachers and it smoked out the whole entire gymnasium. Like it started, it was getting thicker and thicker and thicker. The director was screaming at, at the, the special effects guy like what's the smoke coming from it was just dude it was you couldn't even breathe like it got they couldn't even film you couldn't even see like 15 feet like literally it was about 15 foot visibility 10 15 feet of visibility then they had to go back to like out in the valley to find it was like a friday afternoon they had to go to the valley like through la traffic up the 405 out to some re studio rental place and get these giant like five foot fans to blow out the blow the gym out because there was only two small doors on each end and then some high up windows. There was only a couple high up windows, like 40 feet up built into the roof that you had to have like some special equipment to open. So we couldn't get any of that open. So it just, so it shut down filming for like five hours. Then the next day, um, one of the guys in the video, the big tall guy is Brooke Vandeway. His brother, for the older people that are sports fans, remember his brother is Kiki Vandeway. And this was back when they were doing that, uh, the uh, NAACP, Magic Johnson used to do his Magic Johnson's Midnight Summer Classic, whatever. He'd raise a couple million dollars every year. He'd put on like a basically an NBA All-Star game. All these guys would come out to LA in the summer, in the off-season, play a charity game, raise a bunch of money, and then they'd hang out and party for a few days, whatever, for a week in LA. 
So Kiki Vandeweghe was he was an all star NBA guy, and he he came down. And he brought like six or seven players with him. These NBA all star guys were like, "Hey, what's up, you guys?" Because we were you know we were we were both fans. We knew who they were, and we're like, "Hey, check this out." Because there was a few basketballs. There was a high school gym. We're like, "Check this out. We can throw some hook shots." And Buford goes out and does a hook shot from half court swish. I go, damn, I go, so I can do a three-quarter shot. I take the ball three-quarters across the gym. Like, there's like 100 people running around, like setting up uh, like these little railroad cart trackway lines for the cameras to, to go back and forth in these carts, back in, motorized carts back and forth for uh, filming and light towers and this and that. And I, I threw a three-quarter sh- uh, court hook shot, and the ball just went flying. It went way out to the side, and it hit this metal tower, light tower pole, that was about 30, 35 feet in the air, and it had four or 6,000-watt lights um, in, on the top. And I, I hit it with the ball just perfectly. Things started swaying just back and forth, rocking back and forth. Then all of a sudden, after about the third rocket, just tips all the way over and just comes crashing down and just explodes. Like They were like high-pressure sodium lights. So like, you know, it's like high-pressure sodium, so it's sodium under, in those gas glass tubes is all. So they exploded and just blew this toxic dust everywhere and cut out like half the lighting for the gym so that then we had to wait for more lighting to come out so that added another day basically and yeah we were just partying the whole time then the director oh and then the film crew just worked on a we had this roach coach whatever like the catering dude this is the 80s when it was like the height of like decadence for this stuff we had all the steak and lobster you could eat like gourmet desserts and the film crew a couple weeks earlier been on those old 80s Miller Lite commercials like taste great, less filling, taste great. Where the NFL Hall of Fame players have that chant where these big buff guys like this, you know. So the film crew had just worked, the catering company had just worked on one of those commercials and they were saying, yeah, Bubba or Deacon Jones or Bubba Smith or someone like that ate 17 lobster tails. That was a record. And I was like, I'm breaking that right now. So I said, all right. I said, I made batch with like, crew and people are you know so the people are around like i'll bet i can break the record and i ate 17 lobster tails they were big they weren't little tiny ones and i ate a steak too i had two steaks and like 17 lobster tails or something and dude i ate so much i made myself sick like i thought i i think i ripped my stomach lining like i really did i think i I physically hurt myself i couldn't walk and the director was just i was driving him crazy like we were just screwing off so much his name was Pete Israel. Like he did B movies and stuff. And he's like, he comes running out there. He's all, he called me uh, Moose and he called Buford Meathead. He's all, Moose, get up, get up. And he starts kicking me in the ribs and stuff and like screaming. Like, he wasn't very physical or strong or nothing, but he, 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 was, he was classic. He was funny. And he's just, but we drove him nuts and he was just, get up, get up, get up. He's kicking me, kicking me. Not like breaking my ribs or nothing, but definitely encouraged me. And he, he had the, what do you call those guys? The, Teamsters bring out a, a hand truck, like a big dolly cart, and they had them pick, them pick me up and put it on there, then rolled me back in the gym and just dumped me on the floor. And they're like, get up, get up. And the guys, the other guys on the team were like going up and spiking the, hit me with, uh, like, you know, they're getting sets and spiking hit me from the other side of the, the net, you know, just laughing at me. And so I couldn't, I couldn't move for about four or five hours. And then, uh, so he was pretty pissed about that. But yeah, that's how I was in the Kenny Loggins video. Which of course is uh, um, playing with the boys is the name of the song. You, you can you can see it online, and and it's fun to go back and look at um, Young Bobo um, and see if you can find him in the video playing with the boys, Kenny Loggins. Um, and here's a hint for you: Bobo's got the yellow shirt. He's also the guy pointing his fingers up in the air and dancing at one particular point. Oh, that was gold. And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, Bobo, but I remember back in the day you when you told me this story for the first time. You you claimed, and I don't know if you still claim this or not, if, there, if there's any factual documentation to back this up, but you claimed that it was during that uh, video shoot that you personally invented the belly bump. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we call it Team High Buddha. We'd run up and jump in the air and smack our bellies together. And that is that started that, that kicked it off. And then uh, later in the, a couple of weeks later, like the Oakland A's started doing it and um, it, yeah, it caught on. It went, it went around. There you go. If you ever wondered where the belly bump came from. And we got credit. We got credit from Kurt Loder on MTV News for it. <laughs> wow. So there you go. Connor, 
What are you going to say to follow that? I have nothing. I just, I had a very hard time not laughing out loud. I didn't want to mess up the, that's brilliant, man. Good work in that, by the way. That's just another one of my Forrest Gump style lifestyle, lifetime experiences. Well, I think that just about does it until something else amazing walks through the door here at the North American Bigfoot Center. And we can have Connor on again. So, uh, Connor, thanks for, for staying late. I'm glad I don't pay you by the hour. And, um, <laughs> and sharing some of your recordings with us. Yeah, of course. It, it's been a blast. Thank you both for uh, taking the time to chat. And uh, next time something cool happens, I, I will be here. I mean, I'm always here, but you know how to find me. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Connor. It's good chatting, brother. Yeah. Always good to talk, Bubba. Yeah. Have a good night. You too. Well, there you go, Bubs. I, I think I hired well. Dude, congratulations, Cliff. You, you could not have done better. Yeah, and honestly, I don't think I could have survived without him because his skills and the, the stuff he brings to our Patreon account for our members. Um, I mean, for even the lowest level of our membership, we provide weekly updates with the museum. But t- twice a month, we supply like on-site investigation videos or deep dives, dives into evidence videos, videos of some sort. You know, and Connor went to film school, so he loves slapping this stuff together. And it doesn't look slapped together. It's way better than I could make. Um yeah, he has great uh, audiovisual skills. And um, frankly, the museum, I don't think, could have survived through 2020 without him. He's, uh, and he's hilarious. Oh, he's super fun, super smart, loves Bigfoot. He, he's a musician on top of it. Um, and Melissa just laughs. He goes, like, she goes, Cliff, like, you hired like a, a, a younger version of you. <clears throat> like somebody's like so overly obsessed with Bigfoot and music and all nerddom and stuff. We, we talk about star Wars stuff all the time in the shop. Like it's a total nerd fest out here. <laughs> Nothing nerdy about that. <laughs> Says the guy on the inside. Well, anyway, Bob, you want to take us home? All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to Connor up at Cliff's museum, the North American Bigfoot center. If you're in Oregon near the Portland area or Southern Washington, you have to go check it out. It's, I just saw it for the first time since it's pretty much done and it's incredible. So thank you, Connor. And until next time, thank you for listening folks. And we'll see you next week at Bigfoot and beyond with Cliff and Bobo. Keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 